this week looking at the Easter story um, in some way, shape or form, but it was very much a carry-on from last week. And um, I, I, I just want to do a short, a short recap. We looked last week at how Jesus overcame sin and Satan through his death and resurrection on the cross. We looked at what it... F- what we felt God had placed mankind on this earth to do. God gave mankind an assignment right at the beginning, and we looked at a few of these scriptures. We looked at one, at Genesis 1.27, then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on earth. We looked at subdue, which meant to bring into bondage, to keep under, to make subservient. We looked at dominion, to rule, to tread down, to dominate. Then we looked again at at Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. We looked at what die meant. And then we moved on to Genesis chapter 9. Because what we realised on, if I follow my, my, my slides, we lost the power to subdue and to have dominion and we received death. I'm hoping that... No, it doesn't. I'll read it. I didn't put it up here again. Genesis 9.1. This is after the flood. Noah has gone out of the ark. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And we looked last week how actually that was exactly the same as the commandment in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But it says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we, so we lost the power to subdue and have dominion. And in return, we received death. We then went on and we looked at, so where does Christ in Scripture overcome Satan and the powers of darkness? Do you remember when we looked at Colossians 2, 15 and said, and he was taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is Jesus. Having disarmed principalities and powers, which is Satan, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. We looked at that word disarm and how it was a ceremony that really stripped the, the, the defeated general of his power and of his dominion. We looked at Revelation 6, 8, we did a lot. And so I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades who followed him. And power was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. We looked at how that word death and Hades, where are we? Where, where, where's a capital D and a capital H denoting a personality? And then we looked at Matthew 68. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And actually, at that point, I got a bit lost because I thought I had a slide as to what death meant. So I missed him. I thought, gosh, I kind of messed it up right at the end. But that word death is thanatos, and it means separation whether natural or violent, of the soul and the body, by which the life on earth has ended with the implied idea of future misery in hell. And God is saying that you shall never taste that. You shall never taste that death. 
that future implied misery in hell when you turn to me at the cross. And that is good news because sometimes we need to grasp what we've been saved from as well as what we've been saved to and having a good understanding of what we've been saved from. And actually, if God, if Jesus did nothing more, the fact that we will never taste death in that way, the fact that that will never happen, yeah, is, is enough to worship him, is enough to bow down at his feet and give him all the glory if he never answers a single prayer of mine ever again. And it's incredible and awesome that God does and God has. Amen. And then again, I was a bit stumbled. So this is the important bit. Revelations 1, I, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So what we lost in Genesis, God got back. Jesus restored, yeah, because of what he did at the cross. And in Matthew 28, it says, all authority I have, all authority now that he gives us and passes on to us. So we actually have that, be fruitful, be multiply, subdue and have dominion. And for a better uh, look at that, you can listen to, to the talk from last week. So Jesus raises from the dead. He meets lots of different people, does lots of different things. And then there's this interesting scripture in Acts 1, 9 to 11. Now when he, Jesus, spoke these things while they, the disciples, watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly, they stayed there for a long time. They're looking. Wow. They've just asked Jesus in, in Acts 1, are you now going to restore your kingdom? Are you now going to come and you're going to overthrow the Roman Empire and we're going to rule again? The Jewish nation will be there. Jesus said, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or, or the hour. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he wants to greet his bride, the church. And, and the sense I get when I read this, just an overview of it, not going into any deep, is they stood there going, is it happening now? You know, and their arms are raised up because that, that's a good pose. Yeah, that's a very holy pose. And it says steadfastly, so if I can just have a bit of license. And they stood there and they're waiting. Is it now? I don't want to miss it if he's coming back. Okay? Yeah? Is it happening? And I don't know, after a bit they're like, okay, I'm not moving. And it's as though this is just the way I read it. It's as though the angels had to say, what are they doing? What are they doing? They've been with Jesus for three years. He's shown them all these things. He's told them that he's going to go. They need to be about God's business. And it says, what's it? men of Galilee, what, what are you doing here? He's gone and he will come back. For me, when I read that, it's like, get on and do what I told you you needed to do. We still have an assignment here on this earth. We still, and actually the Kampala Medical Center is a wonderful and great idea of the assignment God has still given his people to do and to have and to reach. 
So what is our responsibility now? Oh, wow, it works. <laughs> I do flow. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority, that's it, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So if Jesus has all the authority, who has none? Satan. And, and we have to live like that because the only authority he has is what we give him through lies we've believed and the way we choose to live. But Jesus himself, these are in red. These are the words of Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Mark 16 says this, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen. Go forth, multiply. Be fruitful. Do that word fruitful? You can extend it. Make, make use of the things around you. Contribute to society. Be within. You, you see the, these programs where people sell up and they go to a remote place in the middle of nowhere and it's idyllic and it's wonderful. And there's a little bit of me that wants to go. But actually, I don't think it's actually what God is saying. We shouldn't withdraw. We shouldn't come away. We shouldn't separate ourselves physically in that sense. The way we live looks different. But to be in and around society is actually what God has called us to, to be. You can't stop man actually creating and doing things because we have a creator God who's put that within us. Be around. Multiply. Be fruitful. Yes, have kids. Subdue and have dominion. Why can we do that? Because Jesus has now got all the authority and he gives it to us. How do I know? He calls us, our, um, he calls us his ambassador. We speak, uh, an ambassador speaks on behalf of somebody else and has all the authority and all the power as though they are them. So when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, then actually the church can move in that. The answer is, are we going to use it or are we going to abuse it? We can't stay here only, hands aloft, worshipping God only in this physical place. It then takes us to move out. Depends to say we shouldn't worship God. No. No. And I know our worship looks in many different things, and somebody will pick me up on that. But hear what I'm saying. Actually, there is a standing here, and I love it. Can I boast? <laughs> now there's a question. <laughs> oh, hang on. Who are you going to boast in? I love watching my son Jacob worship. He's not better than any of your sons or daughters, because that would be a pride that God resists. But sometimes I just want to stand and watch him. Yeah, and he's like this, and he's like this, and he puts everything. And our oh, man, I love it. He's my son. He's my boy. Yeah, and then I see Samuel with the same heart but differently. Samuel, we'll, 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 
very much keeping himself in and, and does like that, but he's there and he's in worship and I just want to watch. Because I say, oh Lord, and I just get the feeling that God, that Father's man, I love that. Don't, don't mishear me, yeah? But there is a time when actually our worship has feet. Our worship moves out. And actually, let's just deal with this. If it deals with this, this physical building, and I just want to deal with this now as a physical place, actually, it's, it's been robbed. The world, therefore, has been robbed of seeing the beauty of my boy Jacob worship God. If Jacob actually only worships in that form inside this building. Do you, do you understand? There has to be some stuff that moves out. And I thought this morning I was going to talk more on this. Because I think part of the gospel, a huge part of the gospel, is being right in communities, right within neighbourhoods, living next door to, to, to um, I don't know what country they've come, but we live next door to some foreigners you know, whose parents only just speak English. It's been involved in them. It's the lady across the road who's a staunch atheist. It's not for me to withdraw actually just within here, this wonderful place, and just enjoy it. It's meeting needs. It's reaching the poor. Do you know a cup of water in the name of Jesus is just not a cup of water? And actually, I'm ever so sorry. I thought we were going to look at that this morning. Because the church has a call to look after the poor. The church has a responsibility in sharing the gospel to come against injustice. Not, not, not just, actually, I need to think of my words, not, not just talk, talk, talk about it, but to pray about it and then do something about it. That, that's the gospel. And actually, I've realised, because I wrestled with God, so the, the way I... I share, and the way I prepare is I'm thinking about it, I'm writing notes, I'm reading the Word, I'm talking to God for, for I like to say a couple of weeks, but it was only last Sunday I knew I was going to do a week too. <laughs> so at least for the whole week, yeah. And then on Sunday morning I come together and it flows. And actually I got to a point where I started to wrestle with God this morning because actually I want to move and I want to talk about the fact that our gospel needs feet and legs and needs to move out. But there's something I felt God is asking me to talk on first. And I wrestled right up to ten past nine. Now, I am good. <laughs> you know, but I'm not that good. So, so, so even this morning, I'm nervous. And I got to a point where we were writing it down and it was flowing and it was going and then we got to this stuck and I wrestled with God for about an hour. Now you might be able to say, ah, yes, I see the bit in, in Ben's talk this morning where clearly he started to wrestle because I hadn't got a clue what he was going on about it. But I am leaning on Jesus. There he is. <laughs> and I pray that you would give me a bit of grace this morning, as I may share some thoughts that have been on my heart for quite some time, and they may come out, I hope not backward, <laughs> but they may come out in different ways, and maybe I could have done it differently, maybe I could have taken a different approach, but I just felt God said, Ben, just, just lean and rest on me. 
So we're called to live the gospel out for what Jesus has done. A big question that I often ask myself is, so what does that look like? I believe the gospel is Jesus and not a message only. The good news is Jesus. The message is that God humbled himself as a man, was without sin, so able to pay the huge price for me. He settled the justice issue so that I might live with him forever. Do you realize that, that we're going to live forever? That actually the spirit man that he's been will never taste death? That this is the good news. Sometimes we can only fully understand just how good Jesus really is when we know and understand our sinful nature and just how the penalty, the huge penalty that was needed to be paid for me to live in the freedom that I now have. So an important question is, so what does Jesus look like? What, what, what does this gospel look like if Jesus is the good news and not a message only? Jesus is love. 1 John 4, 7 to 11 says this, Beloved, let us love one another for God, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this the love of God was manifest towards us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a, a, a propitiation. No? Thank you for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For God is love. So it is not enough to say that Jesus, who is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is not enough to say that Jesus was loving or that he knew how to love. Jesus, God, was, is love. His very essence is love. Therefore, everything he did and does has to be love. Does that follow? He was love walking on two feet. But we cannot bring that side of Jesus only. And actually, we, we love, pardon the pun, to simply stay there, to stay in that place. Bear with me. Just think about that. It means that in all things and at all times, Jesus was perfectly loving, perfectly unselfish, perfectly humble. He was perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. He was perfect in every way. Jesus was without sin, blameless. Not once was he arrogant or boastful or proud. That would not be loving. The number of times Jesus spoke an unkind word was nil. Otherwise, he wouldn't be love. He thought that, that we should love one another, that we should treat others as we ourselves would like to be treated, and that we should do good to those who even mistreat us. Wow, what a message. Who could argue with that? Well, this perfect man of love was... V v Viciously and brutally killed by a mob. 
spitting hatred, cursing his name. How is that possible when a man came with a message like that? While Jesus was love in the flesh, he was also truth in the flesh. And he was born into a world that loved lies. We like love. Love is about relationship, while truth deals with hard, cold facts. John 14, 6, And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is about reality. It's concerned not with the way we believe things to be, or we'd like them to be, but it is actually about the way things actually are. Truth does not come about by a democratic vote, and it has nothing to do with the will of the people. It's not that Jesus was merely truthful, or that he knew truth, or that he taught truth. Jesus was truth. He was the very essence of the stuff. Jesus was truth, walking on two feet. Jesus was love. Jesus was truth. Truth is not... Oh, no, I've done that one. Jesus was truth. He was the very essence of it. Jesus was truth walking on two feet. You cannot have two opposing statements and they both be true. There is really no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is Jesus who is the truth and there is lies. And I don't know what God is going to do to a church that can preach two opposing views as truth. I just don't know. Who can tell me what John 3:16 says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know anybody who doesn't know that scripture, who hasn't heard of it, or even heard of the code. I remember at one World Cup you saw loads of banners, John 3.16. Do you remember? And they mocked it, the commentators said, is that John, can I meet you at 3.16? You know? Who can tell me what John 3.19 says? Because their deeds were evil. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Hold on, no. <laughs> that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their, e- their deeds were evil. We know the love. We know John 3.16. But actually, it's the fact that Jesus is also light. So Jesus is love. Jesus is Jesus is light. John 8, 12, there we go. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So it is not that Jesus simply had light, or that he walked in the light, or even that he pointed to the light. Jesus was the light. He was the very essence of the stuff. Jesus was light walking on two feet. Light is the reproof of darkness. Truth is the reproof of lies. And love is the rebuke of rebellion. That is why Jesus was murdered on the cross. That is why Jesus was murdered on the cross. And we like the phrase that we need to speak the truth in love. Or is it truth with grace? 
as though love or grace will somehow change the truth and the world's reaction to it. Jesus spoke the truth in love like no one else ever did, and the world hated him for it. It wasn't just the Pharisees. The rich young ruler, no, the rich young man came to him and went away deeply saddened. Jesus healed ten lepers, and only one came back. I mean, what Jesus did for them... is he took them from a place of isolation, a place of just shunning, and brought them into a community and gave them a family. And just one came back. The ten lepers who were given redemption back into society, like no other, only one came back to thank God. The light has come into the world, but the world loves the darkness. The world still does. So here's a question for us as the church. If Jesus, who was perfect, who never sinned, and who was love incarnate, could not speak the truth without being hated, rejected, or despised, what do we think that will mean for you and I? And this is where I want to land at 2 minutes to 12. Sorry. Is that actually what gospel are we actually taking out? We love the gospel of love. We absolutely love it. But what about truth? What about light? And I got stuck this morning because I wanted to go a different way, and we will. The 19th of May, I think, is the next time I am speaking, and we'll pick up now. But it has got to be the full gospel, the man who is Jesus Christ. And what I'm deeply concerned about is we live in a time where Christianity has been redefined through our very eyes, before our very eyes. And who is going to stand up and say no? Who is going to stand up and say no? And I can't keep silent anymore. And I'm not going to do it justice this morning. And, and I will think a myriad of things of what you thought about this morning. Don't come. I'm not fishing for a compliment. When I realized this morning early on, as I struggled to get to a place I thought I wanted to get to, as that I, I can't get to the place. I realized I can't get to that place of delivering the gospel without first going through the cross. And when I read of what, of what organisations, Christian organisations, are seeking to do with the word of God, I fear for them. And I, I don't fear for God's church, but I fear for the organisation that they are becoming. You simply can't talk about the gospel without first going through the cross. While I desperately wanted to talk about our need to stand up for the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to care for the poor, to heal the sick, I simply can't do that without first of all going through the cross. And there is no two ways about it. The cross is pain, humiliation, torture, isolation, confusion, because it's the only when I realised what Christ actually did for me by dying on the cross and the weight of my sin that kept him nailed there that I can truly take the gospel out. Because without the cross, we are simply just another charity doing good works in a world that is broken. An understanding of what Christ did for us on the cross means that I will follow him anywhere he goes. It's an undying commitment to him. It's an undying commitment. And actually, we have got to be willing and prepared to be hated. John 15, 18 to 21, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So the first question has got to be, are we in? Are we in to this type of gospel? And it doesn't give us license not think about what we say and think about, oh no, great, I can go into the park and I can get my soapbox out and I can hold a banner, the end is nigh, and I can preach hell and damnation. That isn't what I'm saying. But we are redefining the gospel and cherry-picking the bits that we like, the bits that Jesus said in red, so actually we can be palatable, palatable to a world. And the strange thing is, is Jesus came with all that message of love and grace and all of that stuff, and they still murdered and killed him. And I worry when we seek to meet every challenge with redefining what the Bible says. I read a book that sought to do away with the biblical narrative. There was no fall. Therefore, there's no need for a redeemer. What do they think Jesus has come here to do? There's no heaven, there's no hell, it's simply and only doing good works. It's from that place of being saved from eternity in a pretty bad place that I actually see a need to go and do good works. Do you know, the church has actually not taken the credit for actually a lot of our social care and a lot of our our reaching out to the, the poor now. Everybody is doing it. We need to do that. You were brilliant. Do you know that? And so was everybody else. (laughs) I'm going to close. Although I feel I have only scratched the surface. William Booth gave this quote over a hundred years ago. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. He was a prophet in his time. And I have run out of time this morning. But actually, not but. But in taking this gospel out, it needs to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is love, because Jesus is love. So get this, so when he made a whip... Just think about this. So when Jesus made a whip and beat people to get out of his own house, God did that as love. I don't know how to figure it, but if God and Jesus is love, then actually in him doing that, that was still love. God is truth. And God is light. And actually our question is, is are we willing to stay in for that? Or are we seeking to redefine Christianity for something that the world can say, yes, I can go to that? Because there are stats coming out now. There are stats coming out now that actually the liberal churches, mainly in the States, because the States will do stats. Britain's like, well, we don't do stats. Although they're surfacing now. That the churches that are the most liberal are struggling to hold on to people. That the churches that actually preach... I don't know what the alternative is. Conservatism are actually the ones that are holding on to people and growing. Because I guess if everything goes, you can come and go as you please. But it has to be out of this place that we now go forward and and feed the poor, clothe them, 
stand for injustice. And in fact, actually, it's when we're doing those things that we'll look at on the 19th. It's when we're doing those things, it actually gives us a voice to talk about the Jesus that we're talking about this morning. But when we seek to make him palatable, digestible, presentationable. Oh, I didn't put it up. I thought I did. I got a picture. Can you take that, that down? I watch The Passion of the Christ as I do every Easter. And that bloody, pulped mess that hung on that cross. God is calling people. Actually, to stand in front of Jesus on that cross with actually the mobs and the people around them shouting, bring yourself down from the cross if you said you can. Bring yourself down from the cross if you say you can. He's calling us to stand in front of that Jesus, beaten and broken and saying, I'm in. I'm with him. I'm with that man. And I will follow him no matter where it goes even if it means my life, even if it means I'll be hated, even if it means I'll be ridiculed. We think of the terrible atrocities that have happened in Sri Lanka. Bruce often will, will, will talk to me about the persecution of Christians far and wide where to, to, to speak the name of Jesus is just wrong. I believe this kind of Christianity is under persecution here. And all we do is we redefine who Jesus is. So we can still say the name of Jesus, but we shift our position and we shift our point to a place that is more palatable and more acceptable. The mystery is that in speaking about Jesus in love, in truth and in life, people continue to see a need for him in their lives. And while society might find it indigestible, society, people, people, on the grassroots, find it salvation. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, lest we forget what you did for us on your cross. Father, Lord, lest we seek to do away with your cross, Lord. Where would we be, Father? Lord, I pray that as a church, Lord, that we would seek to move forward in love, in truth, and in light. Father, I pray that as Christians come to this place, they will be strengthened in that manner and sent out to a world that desperately needs Jesus. Father, I pray that you would show us how to bring a cup of water, a plate of food, a coat to wear, a home to call your own. Father, I pray that you will show us how to stand up for the terrible injustices of this world without seeking to compromise your word to us. Father, we lean wholly on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end. Lord, we pour over your word, the Bible, Lord Jesus, to get glimpses of who you are. We experience you in worship and praise. Lord, but we seek to move out into our communities, into our homes, into our place of work, and speak to people that need you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Andrea.